Hello and welcome. This is the Book of Acts by Word Online. Well, welcome to this uh, fourth series in our study of the Book of Acts. In our second series, we saw how the gospel spread to the surrounding districts, Judea and Samaria. That was series two. We've just finished series three, which is about the gospel beginning to go to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. And that was a very exciting series. And some of you will have been with us on the journey and listened to those episodes. And I'd encourage you to do so if you didn't get the opportunity, because it all connects together in one amazing story. But there were some dramatic moments in that in that series the incredible conversion of Cornelius the Roman centurion the Roman soldier and his family which was the first sign to the apostles clearly that it was time to start reaching the Gentiles Luke tells that story brilliantly and then we saw the amazing story of how spontaneously quite a large church grew up in the city of Antioch 600 kilometers north of Jerusalem far away from the center of Christianity some scattered Jewish disciples who'd been scattered by persecution spontaneously started preaching and they started reaching out to the Gentile community and a church was formed then as we brought series three to an end in the very last episode we discussed a fascinating situation where there was a counterattack on the church in Jerusalem from a ruler by the name of King Herod Agrippa I, who tried to assassinate and execute the apostles. He succeeded in executing James the Apostle. He tried to do the same to Peter, who miraculously escaped from prison in astonishing circumstances. And then shortly after that, Herod Agrippa himself died unexpectedly and suddenly and that whole resistance to the gospel ceased that whole wave of persecution came to an end at that point and so Luke as he finishes that description and prepares the way for the next step of the gospel summarized what had happened in series three in a very brief statement one of his summary statements and it appears in <clears throat> Acts 12 and verse 24. Every series is uh, based ar around the structure of the book and based around a geographical area where the gospel is um, spreading to. And so there's a summary statement at the end of each one. There's a summary statement at the end of series one in Acts 6 verse 7. There's a summary statement for um, series two in Acts 9 verse 31 and then this summary statement comes with which we completed the last series and it says in Acts 12 verse 24 but the word of God continued to spread and flourish and this is a beautiful introduction to the next dramatic moments in the story God intervenes again and causes another major breakthrough and that's the story we're going to look at as we look at the very end of Acts 12 and then we go into the first part of Acts 13. But first of all, the uh, very last verse of Acts 12 gives us the uh, context and the situation. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John 
also called Mark. Now this leads us back to uh, two episodes ago. It, this statement is connected with uh, the story of the church in Antioch. And if you listen to that episode, you'll see how the story unfolded, how uh, Barnabas and Paul, or Saul, I call him Paul in general, um, he has both names in the text. One is a Jewish name, one is a, uh, a Greek name. Um, how Barnabas and Paul had gone to Antioch and built up the church. Then some prophets from Jerusalem came to the church in Antioch. Uh, we see this uh, in, in chapter 11, uh, verses 27 to 30. And they, one of them, Agabus, prophesied that there was going to be a severe famine and economic difficulty and uh, especially in the Jerusalem and Judea area. So Paul and Barnabas collected money from the church in Antioch, went 600 kilometers south to Jerusalem to deliver a gift. And then what this verse tells us is that they then came back to Antioch, the church that they were based in. This was their home church. Now they delivered a gift to the church to help prepare for uh, difficult economic circumstances that were going to come soon. And uh, whilst they were in Jerusalem, they added another member of their team. And his name is John Mark. Now, <clears throat> John Mark was uh, the son of a lady called Mary who had a house in Jerusalem, which was a central venue for church meetings and that's referred to in Acts 12 verse 12 when there was a prayer meeting taking place there. So John Mark was a young man, disciple of Jesus, grew up in the Jerusalem church and Paul and Barnabas took him from Jerusalem back to Antioch in order that he could be a helper for them in the work that they were going to continue to do. But the question is what's going to happen next? How are things going to move forward? The Antioch church is doing really well. The Jerusalem church has recovered from persecution. All the churches in Judea and Samaria and Galilee, surrounding areas, seem to be doing well. But there are whole areas of the Roman Empire that as yet have got no churches, no Christians, no witness, no evangelism. And this next passage tells us clearly how God opened up the door to a new area. And it all started in Antioch. And if we remember that Antioch is a strong church, many hundreds, perhaps thousands of members by this time, which has a strong leadership team. The leaders are actually named here. We're going to look at who they are, which include Paul and Barnabas, but others as well. And we see what happens in Antioch, which opens the door for the future of the church. So let's read um, the first section here, um, Acts 13, verses 1 to 3. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord 
and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So just picture the situation. This is the leadership team of probably the second biggest church that existed at the time, the biggest one, probably Jerusalem. We're not sure about that. But this large church has at least five recognized leaders and they're gathering together for a time of prayer and fasting. But who are these people? Very interesting to have a look at this. Well, we know the two prominent leaders. We know them well. Paul and Barnabas. We've been talking about Barnabas quite a lot. We've been talking about Paul quite a lot. And they're going to be the subject of the next few episodes as we see the story expanding. But who are these others? This is an interesting question. Simeon called Niger. Simeon is a Jewish name, but Niger means black in Latin. And this may well be a black African with a Jewish name, with some Jewish connection. So we see an interesting point here. We see racial difference coming into the church for the first time. Up to this point, it's been wholly Jewish, and the leadership has been wholly Jewish. The apostles are all Jewish. Their early supporters, like Stephen and Philip in Jerusalem, they're all Jews from the Jewish framework of the, of the early church. But now, coming into senior positions are non-Jews, Gentiles, and probably Simeon, called Niger, is an African. That's interesting. Then Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene's also uh, in Africa. It's a city in the area we would today call Libya in North Africa. We don't know his exact racial background, but here he is probably an African uh, a, a, of one ethnic group or another. So we've got two leaders with African connections in this team of five. And the third one is interesting too, Mannion, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So Mannion will be a Jew, almost certainly. And Herod the Tetrarch is the ruler who ruled Galilee at the time of Jesus, Herod the Tetrarch, otherwise known as Herod Antipas, one of the sons of Herod the Great. And Jesus uh, has connection with, with this Herod. He, uh, when, when Jesus is tried in Jerusalem, he's tried before the Sanhedrin, uh, before the high priest Caiaphas, but also um, by Herod. So this man had been brought up in, uh, in the company of this uh, king who ruled part of the country. It actually ruled the territory that Jesus had lived in. And Herod was opposed to Jesus, but this person who'd been brought up with him had been converted. So this is an interesting team of five, isn't it? Barnabas's connections are both with uh, the land of Judea, but also with Cyprus, 
where he was resident for much of his life. Saul's connected with Judea and Jerusalem on the one hand, but he was brought up in a city called Tarsus um, in what we would call southern Turkey. So this is quite an international team when you think about it. We've got the African connections, the Jewish connections, and these other regional connections. So this is a very interesting window into how God is building his church. From the very beginning, the Gentile churches are going to be multi-ethnic, and that's going to provide a strength for them. The Jewish leaders open the door for Gentile leaders to come alongside them in positions of authority and responsibility. And this team was uh, meeting together. They were seeking the Lord. They were worshipping and noticeably, they were fasting. The practice of going without food in order to concentrate your energies in seeking God and praying. We'll talk a little bit more about fasting as we come to the reflections at the end of this episode. But in this time of worship, the Holy Spirit sends them a message now, this message will have come through one of the prophets. Notice here there are teachers and prophets. Teachers is often a word in the New Testament that implies a pastoral leader with a teaching gift. So we've got pastors who teach the church and we've got prophets. We spoke about prophets in an earlier episode and we noticed that in the New Testament there are people who are recognized as frequently and regularly and authoritatively speaking messages from God that are predicting things in the future, encouraging the church and strengthening the church by revealing God's presence uh, in the present situation. So there were some of these who were prophets. And these words would have been spoken by one of these prophets, we don't know which one, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And what work had they been called to? Well, we know from earlier texts exactly what Paul's calling was. Because on the road to Damascus, described in Acts chapter 9, which we looked at in an earlier episode, when Jesus met him, he made it clear to him that his primary goal would be to tell the message of Jesus to the Gentile community. Not primarily to his own Jewish people, but to the Gentile community. He was literally the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul had not yet really developed that in a big way. He'd been waiting in Tarsus. There'd been some years of waiting. Barnabas had brought him to Antioch. He'd started preaching and teaching amongst the Gentiles in Antioch. But he knew that his calling was much bigger than one place. He knew that he'd be traveling around. He had this calling in his mind that was as yet unfulfilled. And he was waiting to see how it might be fulfilled. And as he was waiting... The prophet spoke and said, set apart Paul for the work I've called him. And in that instant, Paul would have no question, no doubts as to what this meant. He must move on from Antioch and start traveling to further afield into the areas that had never had the gospel preached. And Barnabas knew that his job was to come alongside Paul and to support him as he'd always done 
right from the first time he met him, as described in Acts chapter 12. So they, pl- they placed their hands on them and sent them off, placing their hands on them, praying blessing, praying protection, and praying the power of God into them to help them on their journey. The mission is launched. And where are they going to go from Antioch? Antioch is in the province of Syria, capital uh, city of that province, a very large city, uh, uh, which is now in southern Turkey in modern terms. So where did they go and what happened next? And so we read the dramatic story of them going to the island of Cyprus, which was nearby. And we're going to read it from Acts 13 verse 4 to verse 12. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos, There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, for that's what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now, The hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So the mission is launched and they choose this nearby island of Cyprus. It was a Roman colony, part of a nearby province, but it was also Barnabas's home country. So it was interesting that they chose to go there first of all. That's where he'd grown up. That was the land and territory that he knew. And they decided to go to the synagogues first. These would have been synagogues Barnabas had visited before. Interesting. So they start with a place that's familiar to him. And they preach in the Jewish synagogues. And they travel across the country, from the east right across to the west. And they then encounter the Roman official, the proconsul Sergius Paulus, who is uh, in charge of the island and looking after it as part of 
one of the Roman provinces and they encounter an opponent, someone involved in occult activity, someone involved in what we would call witchcraft or sorcery. And so a spiritual conflict comes. You'll notice all the way through the book of Acts that Luke highlights different types of spiritual conflict. We saw one in chapter 12 in the last episode when a ruler, King Herod Agrippa I, tried to to dismantle the church and execute its leaders. We have that kind of opposition. But here we have an individual who is motivated by evil spiritual power, who is deeply threatened by the gospel coming and tries his best to persuade the Roman proconsul, the Roman leader in Cyprus, not to follow the gospel. He interferes with the message. And a spiritual battle begins to happen. And this so often happens as the gospel goes forward. There can be spiritual interference. There can be people discrediting the gospel, cursing the messengers, uh, seeking to invoke evil powers against the power of Christ that is coming into that community. And you may well be familiar with those circumstances in your own country and in your own situation. This happens in the modern world just as much as it happens in the ancient world. And Luke describes it to us very clearly. And the pattern is set that spiritual battle will always be there as the gospel is advancing. So this is the very first step on the ministry of Paul and Barnabas as they are um, moving into a new territory. The destination of this mission is uh, Roman provinces in an area they called Asia Minor, which we would call today Turkey, just north of Cyprus. That's where they're heading, and that's where we'll find them in the next episode. But now they're visiting Cyprus, trying to establish a believing community here on the way towards what we would call today Turkey. And amazingly, the Roman ruler becomes a believer. This is fascinating because once the ruler becomes a believer, it'll make it a better environment for the church to grow because the ruler will not be opposing the church. So that's a great victory for the Holy Spirit there. And we notice that, that Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit as he's speaking boldly in the synagogues and then confronting this occultist and by divine power causing him to be blind for a time. And Paul knew what that felt like. It had happened to him on the Damascus Road. And somehow rather the Holy Spirit enabled him to believe that this would happen to this man in order to stop him from his false accusations. And so it was that Elimas the sorcerer, the occultist, was humbled and he couldn't even see the sun. He couldn't see where he's going. He needed people to help him walk around for a period of time. A miracle came that opened the door for the gospel. So what can we learn from this interesting story? Some reflections as we uh, bring this episode to an end. First of all, Antioch is a great example of a healthy dynamic church. We've seen its early growth. We've seen its multicultural leadership. 
We've seen that it's got team leadership, um, but we now see that it is a church that's willing to send people and even send its most talented leaders on mission. This is a sign of maturity. And this is what happens when God begins to start an apostolic movement and it happens in the modern age. You tend to get resource churches or places where there is money, people, prayer, skill, leaders, and those resources are sent out to places in order to start new churches. That's a pattern of church growth and development we've seen all the way through the centuries. And it starts right here. It started with Jerusalem um, uh, to some extent through persecution, but it starts here in Antioch very systematically through prophecy. There's a message, send Paul and Barnabas. Don't keep hold of them. So Antioch is a great example of a healthy and dynamic church. But we see here an, another interesting point, the creative and dynamic power of prophecy. A single authoritative directional prophecy can open up things for God, both at leadership level and at a personal level. God, If God speaks a word very clearly about what you should do, that's directive and clear, recognized, checked, it can change your life. This word, set apart from me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work to which I've called them, change their lives and change the destiny of the church. I also want to draw your attention here to fasting. This is a discipline of the early church that originates out of the teaching of Jesus himself, who, as we saw in the Life of Jesus, Series 4, Episode 13, in the Sermon on the Mount, taught on fasting. And he spoke of fasting in Matthew 6, verse 16 to 18. He spoke of fasting as something which would naturally occur in the church as people are seeking God's will. So I want to challenge you and encourage you if you're a Christian believer, is fasting part of your Christian life when you're seeking God and you need his help, um, when you're asking for his guidance, when you're seeking to know him better? This is the time to practice fasting. So you might want to go back to look at the life of Jesus, series four, episode 13, to find out more about Jesus's teaching about fasting. And the final thing I want to just um, uh, say by way of a reflection is here is another lesson in spiritual warfare. The way that spiritual warfare works in the book of Acts is that as the gospel advances, as the kingdom progresses, there will usually be a counterattack. It's not a battle you go looking for. Our job is not to be interested in any of those things. We're interested in just pushing forward with the gospel. But as we do that, entrenched spiritual powers and human opposition will arise. So it arose in chapter 12 through a king, King Herod Agrippa I. And that was very sinister. That had to be overthrown. Prayer was the main weapon, trusting in God. And here it arises through an individual person who's an occultist, and this person stood in the way of the preacher, but God wonderfully and sovereignly showed his power through Paul's ability to silence the sorcerer. Spiritual warfare will happen. It's described in the book of Acts, but we have the resources to win the battle 
if we pray and are faithful and continue to do what we are called to do faithfully. There may be a cost to us, um, but uh, we should be continuing to do uh, the things that we are called to. So thanks so much for listening to this episode and do join us as we follow the great story of Paul and Barnabas entering into Asia Minor, the country that we would call Turkey, and that will we'll look at that in the next episode. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.